Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. You know, we're in interesting days, aren't we? I mean, it's really amazing, isn't it? I, I don't know about y'all, but how many of you just, after a while, start watching the news and want to turn it off? I mean, it's like, are you kidding me? Everything's upside down, it seems, you know? It's kind of, where has common sense gone, you know? And, and you start to look at stuff and you realize that we are really in the last days. I was reading... Um, uh, a theological book this week and just walking through ecclesiology, which is the study of the church, and uh, just reminded afresh of uh, the study that we did uh, a couple years ago in Revelation, the messages to the churches and the impact of that, not only to the local body of believers that were specified, that were being written to, but also to all the churches at that time, to all the churches everywhere, as well as the different church ages. And folks, I I think there's no mistake, we are in the Laodicean church. We are in the end times. We're in a day and age where people want to gather to themselves teachers that will tickle their ears. Tell them what they want to hear. And and I I, I look at that and I think, my goodness, you know, have, have we begun to get to a point where we literally, literally are placing our own comfort over our personal relationship with Christ? Have, have we gotten to a point where entertainment is more important to us than it is to come and worship and, and spend time in the Word of God and spend time with Christ? When we talk about the Word of God and we talk about the power of the Word of God and we talk about what God does in our lives and what He desires to do to transform us so that through us He's revealed into this world, where are we in our walk with the Lord? And as I look at the Apostle Paul and I look at how he lived his life and I look at the way that he was persecuted for the faith and how he with boldness testified about what God had done in his life through his life, And the witness that that became to all of those around, being on trial, I think, oh, folks, we need to be in prayer. We need to be in prayer. Now more than ever, we need to be in the word of God. We need to be spending time with one another. We need to be in prayer with one another. We need to be focused on what is it that God is saying, and are we completely and absolutely yielded and surrendered to him from our hearts? Because that's what this is all about. I believe the Lord's coming back soon. Don't you? I really do. I believe he is. And praise God for it. Amen. Now, y'all, don't be schizophrenic. If you're going to clap, clap. It's all good. (laughs) Man. Every once in a while, and one of these days I might do it with with the music, you know. It's like everybody's kind of like, well, should we? Shouldn't we? And I want to just get up and say, clap. It's okay. I know we're Baptists. Clap. It's good. It's good. I even have raised my hands a couple times since David's came. Praise God, you know. All right, look at uh, Acts, and we're going to look at uh, chapter 26 and walk through this. Paul is before Agrippa, and uh, I think it's just an amazing story how he's giving his testimony, and he's sharing what it is that God's done in his life, and he's sharing uh, on trial for the faith. He's been in prison for two years. Uh, Festus didn't know what to do with him. Felix kind of left it up uh, to Festus. Felix took off and, and as a favor to the Jews, kept Paul in prison. And in the midst of all of that, 
Festus goes to Jerusalem, talks to the leaders that are in Jerusalem, ends up coming back to Caesarea, sits down on the tribunal seat and brings Paul before him. Paul testifies, and Festus recognizes that there's absolutely nothing that this guy has done that's worthy of death. He goes to Agrippa because he's not sure exactly what to say. He's not sure exactly what to do. In fact, you'll see in the testimony uh, that Festus gives before the people that are gathered for this trial, including King Agrippa and his wife, he, he basically says that what the Jews are saying about Paul is not worthy of death, and the truth of the matter is, is I don't even know what to do with them, but I felt like I needed to at least have something to write to send to Caesar because Paul appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar he's going to go. So what do, I, what do I do here? What should I do? And Paul, in the midst of all of this, is giving his testimony, and I think it's absolutely amazing, and it's something that I think we can take note of. When we begin to walk with the Lord, and God has done something in our lives to change us, when we surrender and yield our lives to Christ, when we receive him, and we become his children, we have a testimony as well. And one of the things we looked at last week, and we're going to continue on with this pattern is that every believer has a testimony and calling to serve the Lord. It may not be the same way. We're obviously not called to be apostles like Paul, but we are called to share our testimony. Do you realize that as believers, every one of us sitting here today has the calling of the ministry of reconciliation? Do you realize that? Every one of us. The ministry of reconciliation. That no matter where we go, no matter what we do, no matter what we're about... As we're going, we're called to make disciples. We're called to testify about the Lord Jesus Christ. We're called to get into the word of God. We're called to be transformed so that through us, the life of Christ is exhibited into a lost and dying world. Folks, that's our calling. And it may look different. It may be as unique as there are people here this morning. But every one of us are called to testify about what God has done in our lives as he leads, as he empowers, in his timing, in his way, in his orchestration. And we're also called to serve the Lord. There's no question about that. Well, as we continue, one of the things we, several of the things we looked at last week was uh, Paul's background. He, he shared about his background, that he had been trained under Gamaliel. All the Jews knew exactly who he was. It was no surprise. One of the reasons that I think he was so hated is because he had been one of them. He shared about his hope. He shared about the hope that he has in Christ Jesus. He shares about his transformation, how he met the Lord on the road to Damascus, and he immediately recognized that something was different here. The Lord said it's hard for you to kick against the goads, against the pricks, depending on your translation. The Lord knew Paul's heart. The Lord knew how to reach Paul. Undoubtedly, Paul had Stephen and other martyrs in his mind, and he was fighting against God. There was something not right. And it may have been the emptiness of Judaism. It could have been all those things. But in the midst of it, God was continuing with patience to pursue Paul. And he meets him on the road to Damascus, transforms him. We looked at this partially Last week, but I want to continue on in verse 16 and just point out a few things in this. Acts chapter 26 and verse 16. And we're going to look at uh, four things this morning as we continue the idea of our testimony, his motive. What was Paul's motive? You know, it's always interesting. We've got to be careful to judge people's motives, right? Amen? <laughs> We've got to be careful about that. God alone knows the heart. 
But I, I want to encourage you in this. There's a lot of motives about the church today that I do not believe come into this particular passage. There's a lot of motives that people have, whether it's self-serving, whether it's their own appearance. They may even have good things attached to their motives, biblical things attached to their motives, but they're not necessarily from God because their hearts are doing things out of activity and a desire to prove themselves to God in some way that doesn't fit within Scripture. Paul's motive is very important to see. Well, his message, the gospel of grace, he's criticized. And what does he do with that criticism? And I think that's important because, folks, we are being criticized today. How do we handle that? How do we handle that? How do we react? How do we respond? Do we do it in love? Do we do it in anger? And lastly, there's a question that Paul asks. And I think it's important because as we share our testimony, so often we've been cowered into this idea that people don't want to hear about the Word of God. They don't want to hear our testimonies. We need to get into a closet, shut the door, and stay there. And the reality of it is, is that God desires through us that our testimony, our witness of what God has done for us, and the Word of God is essential for the people all around us. They need to be asked, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? And Paul does not shy away from that question. Look at verse 16. He says, but get up. This is the Lord speaking to Paul. Paul's on the road to Damascus. He's met with the Lord. And Paul is given his purpose in many ways. Get up and stand on your feet for this purpose I have appeared to you. Now listen to this. To appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. I love this because the word minister is the idea of the under rower, the person on the very bottom of the boat. The only thing they were good for is, is rowing the boat at the command of the sailors. And Paul, who was known as Saul, which means to be asked for, who was one of the great theologians of that particular day. He had been trained under Gamaliel. He was a young man, undoubtedly being groomed for great things. Now meets the Lord, and his name is changed to Paul, which means small. Folks, when God, when God changes us, things change. When the Lord comes into our lives, it's no longer about us. It's about him. And we are simply to be ministers, servants at his beck and call. Whatever he wants to do, why ever he wants to do it, for whatever reasons that he decides to do it, with whatever results he decides to produce out of it. We are here simply to serve him. Whenever he chooses for us to do that. That's the heartbeat here. The Lord tells Paul, I'm going to appoint you a minister and a witness, a true witness. We get the word martyr out of this. The word witness is the idea of somebody who's giving a true testimony. And what does he say? Not only to the things which you have seen. In other words, here he is on the road to Damascus, and he sees the resurrected Lord. He hears him. Later on, we know that uh, the Lord took Paul into the desert and spent three years with the apostle teaching him, took him up into the third heaven. Gave him things to see that Paul wasn't even allowed to talk about when he came back. Folks, understand, the Apostle Paul 
saw the resurrected Lord. That's one of the reasons that he was qualified to be an apostle. And the Lord says, I'm going to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to that which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. He's making it very clear. Paul, this is your purpose now. You're called to serve me, and I'm greater than you. You're going to do what I tell you to do when I tell you to do it, even when you don't like it. (laughs) Aren't you glad God's not a tyrant? Isn't it great that we can say that and understand that God is good? Some people fear that. But the truth of the matter is, is when God tells us to do something, it's also for our benefit. And we get to experience the Lord, which is eternal life, to know Christ. We get to walk with him. We get to grow in Christ. We get to be fulfilled in what God has actually created us to be. Paul's called as an apostle. He's called to go with a specific message. And that message, as Paul himself has said, is the gospel of grace. Verse 17 The Lord goes on and he says, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles. We've seen that in Acts over and over again. This story, as he's before, uh, Festus and Agrippa is a story of God's rescuing him. Over and over he's been rescued. Not only from the Jewish people, but also from Gentiles. And then in verse 18 he says, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. I believe Paul is probably quoting, or the Lord's quoting, from Isaiah. And Paul's getting uh, his calling, so to speak, from what Isaiah recorded. Matthew, in quoting from Isaiah... Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, and it's also found in Matthew chapter 4, verse 16. He says, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. Isn't that a great picture? Isn't that a wonderful picture? Think about that. Sitting in darkness, not able to see it all, and all of a sudden, a light begins to dawn. This morning, I was watching early uh, coverage of the balloon fiesta, because I knew Holland and Cam were down there, her friend. And uh, they, they, at nighttime, they had all of a sudden, they pull the, whatever they do, they pull the cords and the lights go on and the whole balloon lights up, right? Well, I thought it would stay on. Well, all of a sudden it goes totally blank, goes dark. Now, I know you know that, but I'm sorry, I'm, you know. But it was really cool to watch because your eye immediately goes to it. It's pitch black and all of a sudden, there it is. There's this light. And that's what kind of makes it really cool. To watch. Here he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the light. And he's talking about the salvation that Christ brings. He says, Those who are sitting in the land in shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. Isaiah chapter 42, verses 6 through 7 says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. To open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. Wow. Paul, I'm going to rescue you from the Jews and from the Gentiles, and I'm going to send you with this gospel of grace, with this message of salvation, by faith in Christ alone, to go help release the prisoners, to help open their eyes so that they can see their need of me to rescue them from the domain, 
the dominion of Satan, to rescue them out of darkness into light, to rescue them out of the prison, out of the dungeon, into freedom. Folks, do you realize that that's the hope that we have? That's what we get to participate in. You realize that the message of God's grace in our lives is a message of transformation, of freedom for all those around who have no hope, who are sitting in darkness, waiting for death. Paul's motive was to declare salvation in Christ by faith so that those in bondage to sin could be saved. So I wonder what, sometimes what our motives are. And God alone knows. I have to ask myself that. A lot of times I find myself doing things and I have to ask myself, well, now, Eric, why are you really doing that? You say that that's the Lord that told you to do that, but did the Lord really tell you to do that? What's the motive here? Is it for the applause of people? Is it to get attention so that you can feel good about yourself? Oh, I know, I know, I'm stepping on toes now. Folks, I'm stepping on my own toes. Sometimes we do things because we want the accolades of others. And we say God's telling us to do it. But the reality of it is, God had nothing to do with it. Do we have a walk with the Lord that is so in tune with him that in the midst of our lives and in the midst of our fellowship with Christ, that we are sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading, to when he tells us to stop, we stop. When he tells us to go, we go. And we don't question him in it, and we don't allow our own flesh to get wrapped up into the midst of it to the point where we're literally willing to say we have a clear conscience before God that the things that we're doing, the motives that we have, in why we're doing them is for his glory, for his honor, not for ours. See, Paul's motive here in being in prison, doing the things that he did, saying the things that he said, was for no other reason than for the glory of God. Can we say that about our own lives? I think to declare the gospel of grace is one of the greatest privileges that all believers have the opportunity of participating with God in. Do we see it as that? Or is it somehow a burden? We fear it because of people or whatever they think and whatever they're going to say. What are our motives? I think it's interesting in this that the Lord makes it very clear that it's by faith. It's by faith. The persuasion, the willingness to be persuaded that what God has said is true and that it's correct, that it's accurate. Are we living our lives in such a way that people look at us and they realize that we're being transformed by Christ, that God's light is not only in us but shining through us, through the activities, actions, attitudes of our lives, and as a result, they too are persuaded to believe and the Lord that we love so dearly. Well, not only is his motive, but his message comes across. In verse 19, Paul goes on. He says, So King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. 
but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Repentance here is an interesting thing. It's, it means to change your mind, to acknowledge your need. You didn't believe that you need Jesus. You didn't believe that you need salvation that God has offered through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now you're confronted with the truth and you acknowledge your need. You repent. You change your mind. In the midst of that, there's a turning to God, a turning away from what you had believed and turning to that which God presents which is our need of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to perform deeds, to do works that are in alignment with who Christ is and what God has for us. I think it's important to understand Ephesians 2.10 where he says that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Not that we will automatically walk in them, but that we would walk in them. We should walk in them. Folks, as believers, we have the opportunity to walk with God. We have an opportunity to walk by faith. Are we walking day by day persuaded that God is able? And are we listening to him? And are we following him? And then are we walking in the works that he's prepared for us individually as well as a church body to walk in before the foundation of the earth? Folks, if we're not connected with Christ, how do we even know what those works are? If we're not yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ, how is it that we're even walking in what God has prepared for us? I think Paul makes it very clear here that the message of the gospel of grace is an acknowledgement of our need of the Lord. And then there's a turning to God. There's a recognition of our need of God and God alone, that it's not based on our works, it's not based on what we could do. And then, because of a belief, a persuasion that it's based in God, God has promised to come and live within our lives to transform us, and there are deeds that he has for us to walk in that are appropriate, that are in alignment with that acknowledgement of our need for the Lord. Verse 21, Paul says very clearly, for this reason, because of this message of the gospel of grace, the indwelling presence of Christ in us, the fact that he went to the cross and died for us, and the receiving of that payment on our behalf. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. Isn't that amazing? It's not because he broke the law. It's not because he was trying to do anything that was antagonistic or take these people out. It's simply because he was declaring the truth of God. As a result of that, they wanted to kill him. He goes on, he says, So having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place that the Christ was to suffer and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. You know, you know what Paul's doing here? Think about this. He's on trial. He's before Agrippa. Festus is there. There's this great company of people, the leaders of Caesarea, the Roman leaders of that region. There's the people that have been accusing him, the Jewish individuals that have come in order to bring these accusations against him. And he has this audience 
And it's a, <laughs> it's a God-given audience. They don't know what to do with them. He's appealed to Caesar. He's going to go on to Rome. They have to have something in order to write Rome to say why he's even coming. And in the midst of this, Paul gives them, shares with them his testimony. I want you to take note of this. Because the most important thing that Paul does is appeal to the word of God. Even Paul's testimony, his own experience, pales in comparison with what God has said. And he appeals in his message to the word of God. Undoubtedly, he's thinking about passages like Isaiah chapter 53 where he's talking about the the suffering servant and that which was prophesied concerning the Christ. He knows that Agrippa understands the law and the prophets. He knows that many sitting there understand what the word of God has said and what's been revealed to Israel concerning the Messiah, concerning the Christ. He appeals to the word of God. He has stated his case. He has stated his testimony, but he now appeals to even a higher authority than his own experiences, and that is the word of God. I love what Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Turn there with me. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. If you don't know where 2 Peter is, go all the way to Revelation, go left a couple books, and you'll find it. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. I don't know about y'all, but I've used computers so much now that's using a Bible. Sometimes I'm, I'm going, oh, wait, wait, where's, where's uh, Timothy? Where's 2 Timothy? I've got to figure it out, you know. So I get it. The kids will rip us in Bible drills anyway. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Peter says this, we have the prophetic word made what? More sure. Wow. Now, what, what is Peter talking about? What did Peter experience? He experienced the transfiguration. Think about that. You remember he's on the, the Mount of Transfiguration, the Lord transfigures before him. Elijah and Moses come and appear. And Peter's so in awe. <laughs> I love this part. He goes, oh, man, it, it's great for us to be here, Lord. We'll, we'll make tents for you guys, and, and we'll just stay here. Think about that. It was such a powerful experience. But what does Peter later on write? We have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But know this first of all, what's he talking about? He goes on to clarify what he's talking about, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. He's talking about the written word of God. See, Paul has an amazing experience to testify concerning. He got to see the resurrected Lord on the road to Damascus. He was arrested in the middle of going in order to arrest people, throw them in jail, and make sure they're killed because they believed in Jesus. And the Lord meets with them. And even Paul himself, in the midst of his message and sharing his testimony, appeals to the word of God as the authority 
when it comes to who the Lord Jesus Christ truly is. Folks, can I just encourage you in this? Don't ever let the world tell you that the word of God is not relevant for our day. Don't ever let the world tell you that the word of God is not relevant for our day. The word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword. The word of God is able to slice right through all of it. The word of God is what the Holy Spirit of God uses in order to convict. And folks, when we're filled with the word of God, when the Lord uses the word of God to renew our minds, to transform us, to renew us in all the ways that we think and the ways that we act, when God begins to do a work in and through us, through his word, using his word to accomplish that, when we're filled to overflowing and we begin to share the word of God with others, God is able to use his word to pierce through the hearts and the souls of those who do not know him. Don't ever, let the, don't ever believe the lie that the word of God is not relevant for our day. Well, he's criticized for this. Paul is. In Acts chapter 26, verse 24, while Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, (laughs) I love this picture, right? (laughs) Poor Festus. He's sitting up there. He's called this whole thing. He's trying to figure out what's wrong with Paul. He's got to write something to Caesar. He's just taken over this particular job. And I have a feeling that this guy is just overwrought. Like, are you kidding me? I brought in Agrippa and I brought in Bernice and all these people are sitting here listening to this guy and all he's talking about is the resurrection. All he's talking about is the gospel of grace and he's talking about the Jewish Old Testament. I mean, he's probably sweating. He's just in beaties. He doesn't know what to do. And you can see it's like the, the, the kettle, right? It's just boiling and boiling and boiling and boiling and all of a sudden it's like he, he has to let out this shriek. You're nuts! You're crazy, Paul. Your great learning is driving you mad. I mean, think about this. And in the midst of it, Paul's just as calm as a cucumber. He's just totally not phased at it at all. I just can't imagine Festus. I wish I had a video of this one because it would have just been one of those funny moments that you go, Festus, relax, dude. You're supposed to be dignified, and you are not being dignified right now. What's he saying to him? You are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. Do you know the word driving here is a play on words. It actually goes back to what Paul was saying that his message was all about, that they're to repent and turn to God. And what Festus is saying is your great learning is turning you to madness. It hasn't turned you to God at all, Paul. You're nuts. The word mad means maniacal. You're out of it. I don't think there's anything new under the sun, folks. Is there? When we say we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, why are we surprised when people look at us like we're nuts? When we say that we believe in the literal interpretation, the historical, grammatical, literal interpretation of Scripture, 
Why are we surprised when people look at us like we're nuts? We're mad. Our great learning, our knowledge of Scripture, of the Lord and what He has said, is turning us in a direction that is contrary to the way the world thinks. Why are we surprised when the world turns on us and says, you're crazy for believing that? I think I could go on and on and on about the different ways that they'll use in order to attack us on those things. Creationism, right? I was listening to one of the news shows the other day, and they were talking about Dr. Ben Carson, who, by the way, is a breath of fresh air. Praise God. What a brother in Christ. Amen? He just is. And he was saying that he believed in a literal seven-day creation. And this commentator on the news was saying he's nuts. He's crazy for believing in that. Now, folks, we can agree to disagree on certain things, including uh, creationism and how long it takes and all that kind of stuff. But why are we surprised when people from the world look at us like we're nuts because we believe in a literal Genesis chapter 1 through 11? Why are we surprised by that? Why are we surprised when people look at us like we're crazy because we give our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ and we say that he's resurrected from the dead? Why, why are we surprised by that? I don't think there's anything new. Folks, when you share your testimony and when you begin to share what God has done in your life and you begin to share all the things that the Lord has intervened in your life to transform you, when you begin to share about sin in your own life and the need for salvation and being rescued out of darkness into light, when you begin to share about the afterlife, when you begin to share about your hope in heaven, and eternity through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why are we surprised when the world looks at us and says, you are mad. You are crazy for believing that. There's nothing new under the sun. We could go on and on about those types of things. I've heard people say about the Bible, well, it's 2,000 years old. It's not even relevant for our day. Seriously? Clearly, they haven't read it. <laughs> I mean, isn't that the truth? And then there's people that have read it, and they say, well, that really, it doesn't really mean what it says. I mean, you could go on and on about this. Our kids are being attacked with this on a, on a literally daily basis. Right? Homosexuality is okay. We're the ones that are intolerant, bigoted, homophobic, I mean, on and on and on. When we begin to take a stand for God's truth, when we begin to share the testimony of the gospel of grace, when we begin to give an account for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, why are we surprised when the world turns and looks at us and says, we're nuts? Folks, we're in really good company, really good company. Praise God. And there's a whole cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on, including the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There's a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There is a way which seems right 
to a man, but its end is the way of death. So verse 25, Paul says, I'm not out of my mind. (laughs) I love that. He's calm. Festus is the one going ballistic, right? I don't love the scene that picture. Don't lose your cool. Understand where it's coming from. I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. For the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. You know what he's saying is, hey, you want to check the facts? Go check the facts. You you question what I'm saying about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? Go check the facts. It's not been done in a corner. It's not been done uh, under, uh, it's not been hidden. It's been out in the open. Go check the facts out yourself. And Paul shifts gears in addressing Festus to addressing Agrippa personally. And I think this is an important moment. Verse 27, he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. What an interesting moment. You know, when when you're sharing your testimony, you're sharing what God has done in your life, and you have the opportunity as a God-given opportunity to begin to share Christ with somebody. One of the things not to steer away from is to ask them pointedly, what do you believe about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? What do you believe about the word of God and about the salvation that God has provided through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Agrippa is clearly moved. He's been listening to all of this. He's been taking it in. And unlike Festus, who literally is the the teapot exploding, calling Paul mad, unlike that, Agrippa in verse 28 replies to Paul, in a short time you will persuade me to become a Christian. Folks, there it is, right there. That's what we're to be about. Why are we here this morning? It is to celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ. It is to worship him afresh. It is to yield our lives afresh to the Lord. It is to grow in Christ. It is as a people to get into the word of God and encourage one another with regard to the salvation that God has provided for us. And when we leave here, it is to be about presenting Christ everywhere we go. How do we do that? By yielding to the Lord. By following him, by walking by faith, by being transformed and renewed in our minds so that through us, the way we live our lives, our attitudes, actions, and activities reflect the reality of what we're saying. Agrippa replies, in a short time you will persuade me to become a Christian. Paul's answer is beautiful. He says, I would wish to God that whether in a short or long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Paul had no other motive other than to share Christ, share the gospel of grace with people so that they might be freed and forgiven, that they too might have an inheritance with all those who had believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. What are we asking people to do? When we begin to ask questions of people, we're not trying to manufacture this. We're not trying to make them feel awkward. At the same time, we understand that eternity is in the balance. 
And when God gives us opportunities to share Christ with people, and when God gives us an opportunity to testify about what he's done in our lives and what he's doing in our lives, what he is able to do in their lives, I think the question we're asking is, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? One of the simplest statements of salvation is Acts chapter 16, verse 31, where the Philippian jailer, overwhelmed by what he has seen in Paul and Silas and and that which has taken place in the jail, simply says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul's simple but yet profound response is believe on the Lord Jesus and attach with it as a promise and you will be saved. That's the simplicity of it and the beauty of it. And yet, how profound is that? Are we willing to be used of the Lord in that? The conclusion here, verse 30, the king stood up and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had gone aside, they began talking to one another, saying, this man is not doing anything worthy of death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Again, Luke is making clear that Paul had done nothing wrong. The integrity of the man as well as the message is intact. Paul now begins his journey, which we'll pick up on next week as he begins to be sent to Rome to testify as the Lord told him was going to happen. Folks, every one of us has a testimony. If we're truly believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a testimony. We also have a calling to serve the Lord. We have an opportunity to share Christ everywhere we go. And the question is, are we walking with him? Are we yielded to him? It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter necessarily what you've been called to do for the Lord, maybe within the body of Christ. What matters is that God has changed you, transformed you, that you have a hope. And our motive in serving the Lord is simply that others may be freed from the bondage of sin. What's our message? Folks, very simply, it's the gospel of grace. It's that we have the opportunity to be saved because of God's mercy, because of his goodness, because of his grace, not because of our works, not what we could do for him, what we are doing for him, or could ever do for him. But rather, it's by grace, through faith, that we are saved. We're living in a day, folks, where it appears to me people are more concerned and interested in entertainment than they are eternity. More interested in pleasure than personal holiness. Comfort than Christ and our personal relationship with him. Folks, let's make sure we're yielded to the Lord. Let's make sure we're in the word of God and that the word of God is renewing our minds, that any motive we have, any thought, anything that we do is yielded over to the Lord and it's for his glory and for his honor and that we come before the Lord individually and as a people to say, Lord, here we are. What do you choose to do today in and through us? And for what you alone are able to do, we'll give you the praise and we'll give you the glory forever. Amen. Folks, that's what this is all about. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. 
Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.